Chapter 7 of The Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins, Volume 2, by Robert Paltick. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 I appeared before them in the morning in my old jacket and an old hat with brims indented almost to the crown, a flannel nightcap, and checkered shirt. How now, son, says my father, what have we here? Sir, says I, this will show you the use of our English fashion I mentioned the other day, and the necessity of it. You see me in this indifferent habit, because my next business requires it. But when I come back and have no further dirty work to do, I shall then dress as near as I can to qualify me for your company. Are you for moving, gentlemen, says my brother? I believe it is time." They then, all arising, we went to the lake, where, getting into my boat and telling them that any six of them might go with me, they never having seen such a thing before, and not much liking the looks of it, all made excuses, till my brother, assuring them it was very safe and that he had sailed in it the last trip, three or four of them, with my father and Hallie Carney, who was very desirous of seeing me fish, got in, and we sailed a great way up the lake, taking my gun, as usual, with me. It gave me exceeding delight to see the whole body of people then, in the Arco, on the Grundy, some hovering over our heads and talking with us, others flying this way, others that, till I had pitched upon a spot to begin my operation, when rowing to shore and quitting my boat, the whole body of people settled just by me, staring at me and my net, and wondering what I was doing. I then, taking a sweep as usual, got some of the soldiers to assist me to shore with it. But when the cod of the net landed and the fish began to dash with their tails at the water's edge, away ran all my soldiers, frighted out of their wits to think what was coming. But it being a large hail and a shelving bank, I could not lift it to the level myself, which my brother, who had seen the sport before, perceiving, though not one of the rest stirred, lent me a hand, and we got it up. You cannot imagine what surprise appeared in every face upon opening the net and seeing all the fish naked. They drew up by degrees closer and closer, for I let the fish lie for some time for their observation. But seeing the large fish upon my handling them flap their tails, they very expeditiously retired again. I then tossed several of them into the boat, but two of them being very large and rough-scaled ugly fish, I did not think I could lift them myself, so desired assistance, but nobody stirred. I expected some of the colams would have ordered their men to have helped me, but they were so terrified with seeing me handle them that they could not have the conscience to order their men on so severe a duty till a common man came to me, and taking the tail and I the head, we tossed them both into the boat. I went higher up the lake than usual in hopes of a beast fish to show them, but though I could not meet with one, I had several very great hauls and took three or four of my lobsters, very large ones. 
This was the second trial I had made of my net since I had altered it, and it gave me great satisfaction, for I could now take as many fish at one draft as I could before have done at ten. I had found that though my net was very long, yet for want of a bag or cod to enclose the fish, many that were included within its compass would, whilst I drew round, swim to the extremes, and so get out for want of some inlet to enter at. For which reason I sawed off the top of a tree at about ten feet from the ground, and drawing a circle of six feet diameter round the tree on the ground, I stuck it round with small pegs at two inches distance. Then I drove the like number of nails round the top of the trunk of the tree, and straining a length of mat line from each peg on the ground to a correspondent nail on the tree, I tied my mat line in circles round the strained lines from top to bottom, about two inches distance at the bottom, but at a less distance where the strained lines grew nearer to each other towards the top, and having secured all the ends by some line twisted round them, I cut a hole in the middle of my net and tied the large ground end over the hole in the net and gathered the small end up in a purse, tying it up tight, and by this means I now scarce lost any fish which once were within the sweep of my net. Having had so good success, I had a design of returning, but thought, as I could now so easily entertain a multitude, I might as well take another haul or two, and make a handsome treat for the soldiery. Then, Coming up to my drill's mouth, I fixed my implements for a draft there, and beginning to draw up, I found great resistance in the net, and got two or three to help me. But coming near shore, when the company saw the net tumble and roll and rise and fall, they all ran as if they were mad, till I called them and told the colams it was only one of the fish whose skins I had shown them, upon which by that time I had discharged the fish from the net. They were all round me again, but no sooner had he got loose than up he rose, whirled his wings, and at the same instant uttered such a groan that my whole company retreated again, thinking me somewhat more than a man who could face so dreadful an enemy. I entreated them to come and view it, but finding no arguments could bring them nearer, I edged round till I got him between me and the water and shot him dead. Upon the report of my gun, the whole field was in the air, darting and screaming, as I have often seen a flight of rooks do on the same occasion, and I am apt to believe some of them never returned again, but went directly home. I was a little concerned to see the confusion I had caused, and laying down my gun, my brother, who, though at a distance when I shot, knowing what I was at, and coming up to me, it put the rest upon their consideration, and they alighted one by one, at a distance, till they were all on the level again. My father and the colams, who were the first that durst approach, wondered what I had done, and how the fish came to be dead, and whence so much fire and smoke proceeded, 
for they were sure I brought none with me and asked me abundance of questions. But as I knew I must have occasion for answering to the same thing twenty times over, had I entered upon an explanation there, I deferred giving them satisfaction till we came home, when all at once might be capable of hearing what was said. So I told them the most necessary thing at present was to stow the fish in the boat, for it was the largest I had ever taken, and I could not wholly do it myself. I made several efforts for help, but in vain, till the same soldier who had helped me with one of the first fish came to my relief, and desiring my orders what to do, assisted me. And the rest, seeing the difficulty we both had to manage it, one or more of them came up, and we shipped it on board. I then called the colams to me, telling them I was sorry I had given such a general disturbance to them by shooting the fish, but as they kept at too great a distance from me to have notice of my design, and if I had followed them the fish might have escaped before my return, I was obliged to do as I did, which was without any possibility of hurting them. But, as I had given them such a fright, I hoped they would this one day give me an opportunity of complimenting their guards with a fish dinner, if we could any way contrive to dress it. For whoever did that must be able to bear the close light of a large fire. They all shook their heads, but my brother, who told me he had in his retinue six men from Mount Elko, purposely retained for their strong sight to attend him always to Kreischdorp, who, he believed, for the benefit of the rest, would undertake the cookery if I would show them how. I desired he would give them orders to attend me on the other side of the lake, and I would instruct them at my landing, and then I crossed over with my booty. Finding the Mount Alco men waiting for my landing, I asked if they could bear the sight of fire. They told me they were used to much greater light and flames than I had ever seen, they believed. Very good, said I. Then get into my boat, three of you, and hand out that fish to the shore. I found they were more afraid of the fish than of the fire, for not one of them stirred till I got in and tossed out several small ones, and then, taking up a large one, help me somebody, says I, they looking a little at one another till one of them venturing to take it, the rest fell heartily to work and dispatched the whole lading presently. I then laid a small parcel upon my cart for our own eating and the officers, and sending them to the grotto, I gave the cooks their charge. Now, says I, my lads, do you serve all the rest of the fish as I do this, cutting it open at the same time and throwing away the guts, and I will send each of you such an instrument as I use here, pointing to my knife. I shall order six large heaps of wood to the level to be piled up there. When you have done the fish, do you set fire to the heaps and let them burn till the flame is over and the coals are clear. Then lay on your fish, and if any are too large to be manageable, cut them in proper pieces and with sticks, which I will send you, 
turned them over and over, walking round the fire, and with the forked end of the stick, toss the least off first, afterwards the greater. Be sure to throw the fish as far as ever you can from the fire amongst the men, that they may not be obliged to come too near it. And in this manner go on, till either they have enough, or your fish are gone. And when you have done, come to the grotto for your reward. I then set abundance of hands to work to carry wood to be laid in six heaps, two hundred paces from each other, and told them how to pile it. I then prepared six long taper sticks with forked ends, and ordered more hands to divide the fish equally to the piles. I then sent others with salt and bread, and I ordered them to let me know when all was ready. While these preparations were making, my tent visitors had all dined, and my cart had returned with the beast fish, which the company desired might be brought in, when everyone passed his judgment upon it, and a long dissertation we had on the marvelous work of Calwar. I let them go on with their show, though I could have disproved most of their conclusions from the little knowledge I had of things, but I never was knight-errant enough to oppose my sentiments to a multitude already prepossessed on the other side of the question. For this reason, because I have ever observed that where several have imbibed the same ridiculous principle in infancy, they never want arguments, though ever so ridiculous, to support it. And as no one of them can desert it without impeaching the judgment of the rest, they encourage each other in their obstinacy, and quite outvote a single person— and then, the laugh beginning on the strongest side, nothing is so difficult as to get it out of their hands. But when a single man in the wrong hears a just argument from a single antagonist, which he cannot contradict, he imbibes its force, and whilst that last, as nothing but a better argument with better reasons can remove it, he from thenceforth adapts his adversary's reasons for his own, to oppose against his own former opinion. In the height of our disputations on the beast fish came news that the broil was going to begin, and as I expected very good diversion at it, I invited the company to go and see it, telling them, in my opinion, it would exceed the sport in taking them. We passed through the wood till we came amongst the shrubs, where I placed them to be out of harm's way, and the fire, which was now nothing but cinders, was of no inconvenience to them. They were pleased with it to perfection, for first the six men who walked round the fires by the glowing light of the embers and the shining of their grundies looked like men on fire. Then, to see each fire surrounded with a circle of men at the diameter of near two hundred paces, as close as they could well stand, by a more distant shine of the fire, had a very pleasing effect. But when the broilers began to throw the fish about, for each man stood with some salt and a cut of bread in his hand, to see a body of a hundred men running for it, and whilst they were stooping and scrambling for that, to see a hot fish fall on the back of one, which was whipped off by another, who, scalding his mouth with it, threw it in the face of a third, when a fourth 
fifth, and sixth, pulling it in pieces, ran away with it. And to see the different postures, courses, and groups during this exercise and running feast was the most agreeable farce my guests had ever seen in their lives. And to the great saving of my liquors, kept us in the wood for full three hours, not a soul stirring till the feast was over. We spent the best part of this evening in discourse on the passages of the day, the reflections on which, not being concluded till bedtime, my adventures were postponed till the next night. But we had first concluded upon a shooting for the next morning, for they were all extremely desirous of knowing how I did it. At a time, they should have opportunity of seeing me and making remarks, and I, being unwilling they should think me a conjurer, agreed to make them masters of part of the mystery of powder and ball. End of chapter 7